Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you tired of reading books, attending leadership or communication classes, only to wonder what's missing? What am I not getting? Well, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and guess what? I am a storyteller. It is through the stories of others that we learn how to do better. Listen in on my conversations with my guests who, like you, are on a journey to become better leaders. Leading well is not a destination, it's a journey. One where doing well means learning from each other if you are to identify and then close the gaps between where you are now and where you wanna be tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and how are you today? I am fabulous, and wherever you are in the world listening to this, thank you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, a place where you will find um, answers to getting from where you are now to where you want to be. And what are those small steps that if you consistently do them, you will find amazing results? Well, this is an interesting podcast that I have for you today. Have you at all thought about What does it take to change the culture? We have had an enormous amount of change here in America and around the world. And culture has been at the essence of it. What we have, what we reminisce and try to normalize the old way of what's going forward, but also resistance on how we're going to get to the next level. And there are a few people out here who have been doing work in this area of culture change and helping to facilitate culture change for a number of years. My next guest is Colin D. Ellis, and that is exactly what his work has been about. How do you identify what the culture is, and then how do you help people learn how to change? Because we're really not good at changing. Change is generally forced on us. Instead of us running to it going, hey, I'll sign up for it, just doesn't seem to happen this way we want it to. Colin has more than 20 years experience building and leading teams. He's originally from Liverpool, UK, and he arrived in Australia in 2013 after a six-year stopover in New Zealand. Professionally, he loves to help organizations create cultures they can be proud of. One of the things I like about Colin is, is that In his profile, he will tell you that he didn't come to being the expert in this idea of culture because he went to school. He did it the hard way. He had to apply and then learn and then reapply and practice. And he'll say he's come to, he comes to you with proven practice, things that he has seen to work over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you're a cool clothing retailer, government agency, an FMCG team, or an under-the-pump energy producer. The steps we take together will define, articulate, and set in motion your amazing, evolving culture that delivers great work time and again. So with that, hey, Colin, how you doing? Hey, Denise, I'm great, thank you. Good, good. And for my American friends, um, you've got an interesting accent. Where are you at? 
So Denise, I'm originally from Liverpool in the UK, uh, but I spent six years in New Zealand and now live in Melbourne, Australia. So I've literally been around the world. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and what as I introduced you, your title is really a ch culture change facilitator. Mm. That's really interesting. But before we get to that, tell me something about you that people probably might be shocked to hear or something that you've learned that's made a big impact on your life? Oh, wow. Uh, shocked to learn. I don't know. I'm an extrovert, so I tend to put everything out there. Denise, I met the, I met the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, I've actually met and spoken to him. So I did that as a, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Uh, oh, my. There's this, there's this award scheme in the UK called the Duke of Edinburgh's Award. And so it's this kind of outward bound experience and then you have to do all of these skills essentially it's about promoting youth leadership which which is awesome it's a, you know it's something that I loved doing and back in the day when you completed this you get to go to St James's Palace so one of the royal palaces in London and there's like there's like 300 kids in a room and you're all in these horseshoes and he talks to two people in these horseshoes of 30 people. And he talked to me. He asked me one question. I got it wrong. And I still regret it to this day. He, he probably walked away going, what's wrong with that child? Why did he answer the question? He, he, he asked me, he said, so you did this, you do a sport. The sport that I did for my award was basketball and a skill. And my skill was car maintenance. He was like, hey, hello. And, and what did you do for your skill? My skill was car maintenance. But I panicked, right? I wasn't expecting a member of the royal family to speak to me and I said uh, car maintenance he was like oh oh right and moved on I was like no no it was basketball <laughs> so that's the thing that people might not know um the thing that had an impact on me in my life I you know I was I was fortunate I you know when I was 27 I had a, I had a big career change and um I was identified as someone who could uh, build and lead teams just I was working in in it's advertising, selling advertising space. And I got to work with someone who taught me the leadership ropes. And, and I think uh, for most people, there are those opportunities in our lives when we come across those people who make a real difference and we have a choice. And we have a choice to listen and learn or a choice to ignore and be our own path. And from that moment, when I was 27, from that moment, I chose to listen and learn. And uh, that, uh, that was a massive change in my life. Wow, that is such a gift because most people are always asking for that person or persons to lead. And, you know, here, the, you know, the whole leadership development industry, I think it's like $200 billion dollars. Mm. Um, globally so you can imagine how many people are seeking the tools and the tips and the, the hand holding the training on how to learn how to be a leader and we uh we we, we haven't cracked that nut yet have we well we haven't and and mckinsey's uh, found that in the u.s alone you spend 500 billion dollars every year on leadership training but only seven percent is is ever effective and there's a reason it's certainly in my experience two reasons is firstly they don't teach you the actual real life skills okay denise so you know i was a permanent employee for 30 years i started off as a teller in a bank when i was 17 and kind of really worked my way up the system by putting in a shift and listening and learning. So they don't teach you the practical skills. Um, and then secondly, people don't make the choice to lead. I think people get to a position in a hierarchy and are like, right, that's it. 
I'm now a leader. I'm on a leadership team. I've got a big car. I've got a big salary. I've got all of the bells and whistles. And actually, they're not making a difference to people's lives, which is what leadership is all about. So most organizations haven't cracked that uh, because what they don't do is provide an internal pathway for people to make a difference to others' lives. They provide an internal pathway to climb a hierarchy. Yeah. And so what would, what would, what would it look like if we actually started thinking about providing that pathway to leadership? Well, I, all of a sudden what you'll get is this acceptance that um, in order to be a leader and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about culture change because what leaders do is they continually grow and evolve cultures. But, but, but in order to get on that pathway, it requires you to continually look at yourself, at who you are, at the skills that you've got, because we want to leverage those and use those for good, but also to fill in those gaps, not only within our personality, because our personality is good at some stuff, but not at others, but also knowledge gaps as well. Uh, we're, stuck in this, uh, we're stuck in this endless cycle of busy, Denise. Mm-hmm. So most people who want to become leaders, they, they don't follow that path that everybody else does they don't conform to some of those cultural norms they're the voice of difference not yeah. deference um they 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 very much um they they unwittingly shine a light on like themselves because they're prepared to challenge some of the things that aren't right or don't work um and grow and evolve themselves over time yeah over time they become people that we say if you need a real opinion go see that person over there yeah, they, they, they know how to be honest with you. They're, they're transparent in their dealings. They'll never tell you something's good if it, if it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not delivering, they'll, you know, they treat you with empathy, but they always find ways to motivate and inspire you. They recognize that sometimes that means stepping out of themselves, you know, as, as an extrovert. Talking is something that comes quite naturally to me. So I have no problem building relationships. Right. But under, understanding the detail of a financial report, oh, man. Man, that was something I struggled with that big time. And I, and you know, I eventually recognized that this is stuff I had to work really hard at. Yeah. Because it's not my personality to understand the detail. And actually, I had to show a little bit of humility, a little bit of vulnerability, and say to someone, I don't understand this. Yeah. I'm not very I'm not very good at any of this, right. but I need you to help me get better. And at that point, I decided to get better. I made notes and I constantly read stuff. And even in, in the, the, the work that I do now, they have no problem coming on podcast. Like you could put me in the front of a room of 10,000 people. Now I would love that. No problem at all. You asked me to read a 250 page culture report, oh, which is part of my job to do that. I was doing it last night, but I had to do it in a wine bar. That's where I read all my research. Um, <laughs> You know, it's tough for me to pick out the detail between the lines. And I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm, diff- I'm no different to most people on my own leadership right. journey is how am I challenging myself to get better? Yeah. So how, so how, you started in kind of this one role and worked mm. your way up, banking sounds like, and then you somehow decided that where your heart is, is in being a facilitator of change, culture change. How did that yeah. Yeah, very good question. How did that? I had no desire to work for myself, Denise. At no stage on my journey was I like, I'll get to 46 and then I'll risk everything that the family and I have built and work for myself, which is exactly what I did. Um, I... 
I'd been a senior manager uh, in the private sector in the UK, learned a lot. Uh, we emigrated to New Zealand. It was a lifestyle change. We had a little boy and then we had a little girl while we were in, in New Zealand. So I was working in government at that stage. And I think when I was working in, I, I was hired from the UK because the, 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 the guy that brought me over to New Zealand, he was like, we want something different. Uh, we've looked around New Zealand. We're really not seeing in the market the kind of person that we want, you know, and I put my details forward. And he's like, you know, we want someone who's going to help us to build teams. We didn't call it culture back in 2007. Build the kind of teams that get the job done. I'm like, I'm the guy. And, and you know, and, and that, was, that was my thing. Everyone's good at one thing, but I was good at building teams. I was working in project delivery at the time. So I had a kind of dual role of building this kind of really good culture to deliver really big projects. And so I spent six years doing that in New Zealand, got a bit of a name for myself for doing that. Uh, we moved to Australia. So we started again, completely again. We moved to Australia. We didn't know a single person here. I managed to get a job in government uh, again as a senior manager. And then I, I, I was asked to change. The, one of the first things I had to do was change the culture of the team. And my boss was like, oh, you're going to be here 10 to 15 years doing that. I'm like, no, I was like, that's the thing that I'm good at. And at that point, I was like, actually, I've got a bit of a structure for this. I've got a bit of a process for this. We changed the culture in seven months. Uh, the team mm -hmm. and I, it's not just me, it, you know, I, even though I had the structure, it, it requires, it's a team effort because culture belongs to everybody. Yeah, and we changed it in seven months. And at that point, Denise, I thought, you know, kind of, I went to a conference and, and left feeling really underwhelmed at the fact that people were talking, weren't talking about the reality yeah. um, of some of the things that we see in our cultures. People will tell you all the time that culture change is hard. You know, I mentioned that at, at the top of the show. And, and it's just because we don't have the skills. So I thought maybe I can teach people the skills. I didn't want to be a consultant, no disrespect to consultants, but I wanted to teach people how to do culture change for themselves. Yeah. And probably the last three years, last three, four years, uh, business has been really good. At the start, people really didn't want that. They, they right. was like, oh, does it not just change? Like, uh, no, you have to take action. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I'm, so you, I'm, you yeah, stepped yeah. away from, but I, from your lens and the way you saw things, when you were at these conferences where everyone is, you know, kind of giving off their, this is what you need to do. What did you hear that made you say, wait a minute, that, that's not how you do it, or I've got a better idea, or something's wrong with that piece, and I think I know something better. Well, for me, Denise, and just going back to the comment you just made, they weren't telling you how to do it. Mm -hmm. It was lots of theory. It was lots of method. It was lots of process. There was some case studies and that was good, but you always left with that sense. Okay, well, what's one thing I can do to change stuff? I, I always felt really, un, like, you know, I always really felt underwhelmed, as I mentioned, because what I wanted to do, I was spending $1,500 going to a conference. I wanted to come away with 10 things. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately it was left to either the opening keynote speaker or the closing spe keynote speaker to really inspire me. But that generally is about me. It's like, right, I've got all of this energy, right? Now let's look at the list of things that I've learned over the course of two right. days. And there's like one thing on there. And I'm like, oh. And so, you know, I, I thought, well, yeah, I've, I've been an employee for 30 years. I've been the lowest of the low. You know, when I first started work, I was earning four and a half thousand dollars a year. Um, so I was like, you know, I, I've got this knowledge. I'm going to give people, I'm going to 
I'm going to write books that tell people how to do it. And I'm going to do speeches that tell people how to do it. And I'm going to do it with humor um, and energy because I think so much in our world is serious. There's not much in the way of levity and sure culture change is, you know, is one of those things that takes time and effort and money and all of those things. But who says we can't have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. And so what I did was, you know, having looked at all of these conference speakers, I I wanted to be the antithesis of many of them uh, and and give away how to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit because culture change now is, as you've said, we've evolved from build strong teams, build high performance teams to um, change the culture, create cultures. And a lot of it here in America, many companies are trying very hard to figure out what does that mean and how do we, how do we, how do we change? And do we really change or do we evolve our cultures? Mm-hmm. And how do we make them more open and inclusive for all kinds of people? Plus, you know, we're known as the fast and furious here. So things change on the dime, um, not COVID notwithstanding, even before then, you know, a new technology shows up, something else comes in and, you know, we're all kind of scrambling to do things. What, what, tell me in essence, you know, are you, are you helping people evolve the culture or are they really changing the culture? No, they're evolving it, Denise. You can't change it. You can't click your fingers. That's why I, you know, I, whenever I speak, I kind of guard people against culture change projects. Because yeah. firstly, it, it, you know, it indicates that there's an end point, which there never is, okay. uh, because they constantly evolve. And secondly, people think that they can spend a little bit of money and a little bit of time, and that's it. And it, it, that's not it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I give people the insights in, in what it takes not only to define culture, but then to build and evolve from that, Denise. We don't teach managers how to build culture. So it's it, it's no surprise that we have these cultural issues. You know, I mentioned right at the start about the fact that, you know, kind of those, some of those managerial skills are missing. We don't t- teach people how to set expectations well. We don't teach them how to manage poor performance. We don't teach them how to role model good behavior. And we don't teach them how to build great workplace culture. So, okay, so well, give, let's, stop, let's slow down there yeah, yeah. and talk about workplace culture and what mm-hmm. is a great one. In your book, you talk about vibrant cultures versus empathetic cultures. And those are great terms. Marketing people will love you for it. But what's the, what's the difference between a vibrant culture and an empathetic culture? Well, so the, the opposite ends of the scale. You've got, a, you've got a vibrant culture where people are highly emotionally intelligent. They can bring their best selves to work. There's no fear. And they believe in what the organization or the team is trying to do. Okay. That's where vibrancy lives. We don't tolerate brilliant jerks. Okay. We, um, we celebrate success. We have a vision that we believe in. We've taken the time to define and, and, and agree the culture that we have. Stagnant cultures, on the other hand, low emotionally intelligent uh, people uh, who, who really don't care, Denise. They don't care. They're just in it for themselves. And, you know, many organizations set themselves up or set the reward structures up where people are very focused on themselves. So we have these key performance indicators. So we have these individual targets, individual goals, which is less about team success and more about individual success. So we make it easy for them to focus on themselves. I think, you know, a lot of the time, particularly working in government, I was working in what I call combatant cultures. We use the term toxic cultures. And so what you've got is low emotionally intelligent employees who really care, 
They just don't know the right way to go about it. So you get this constant fight, this constant battle uh, to, to, to get things done. Um, and, and, and that's where the definition process comes in, because if you don't take the time to define the way that you need to work together to be successful, if you don't take the time to define what it means to be vibrant, you only ever get there accidentally and, yeah. and often in a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and now we're in crisis, right? Yeah. Because in this time for us in our cult and, and the world in general, we're trying to deal with this idea of globalization. And we've been talking about global, you know, the world's going to become flat. The world, you know, Nesbitt wrote the book, you know, what, 20 some odd years ago, talking about how flat the world's going to be. And that we are going to have to learn to live with people who are not like us in so many ways. And mm -hmm. so how do we bring that into our, our area without, you know, and, and here we have such historical issues that we have to deal with from, right. you know, um, all the things that come up in Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, all of these things. And we ask these people, to all, and we ask everybody to kind of come together and for eight to 10 hours a day, five days or six days a week, we want people to kind of leave those parts of themselves out the door and now there's yeah. this push around diversity inclusion etc belonging which probably really is the next evolution but there's so many um, organizational barriers um, to doing it from structure of how we recruit to yes i want to become more diverse but i've got all these people in the seats already um, yeah. you know and then it's also built on the shame blame the way we think about bringing people in is built on this. What have you seen that works? How have you, uh, are you dealing with that? How does, how does this idea of culture work, culture evolution, how does that show up in these organizations, which, which people may want to do, but don't really have the skills to do it? Yeah, that's which is absolutely true. Dealing with it all of the time, um, Denise, in 2020 uh, was a, a kind of almost a watershed year for workplace culture with some of the things that we had to deal with. Uh, most organized, let's, let's, let's take diversity and inclusion as one, uh, is most, most organizations treat that as a policy to be applied. Yeah. When really what we're talking about is the impact that social cultures have mm -hmm. on our workplaces uh, and the behaviors of individuals that get in the way from having more diverse and inclusive workplace cultures. Okay. And let's make no mistake about it because you can walk into Cisco in the US, technology mm -hmm. company, mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion, they don't even talk about it. It's just mm -hmm. done, Denise. Mm -hmm. They don't have a policy that you have to follow. They recognize the good that all human beings can do, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race. Um, and yet there are still organizations that I talk to. It's like, oh, we have a real issue with diversity and inclusion. It's like, well, okay. So which, which of your leaders aren't behaving in a way that creates the kind of environment where you can hire anyone? Oh, well... Oh, what you don't understand is I'm like, okay, so let me just say right now, what you don't understand is in order to become more diverse and more inclusive, 
you have to fundamentally change the way that you think and act from the wording in job adverts to looking at who who gets put in the seats for interviews, Mm -hmm. the way that everybody dresses, Mm -hmm. uh, the the words that you use, the structures that you have. Most people, they don't don't have the guts to actually take that on, Denise. What they want to hide behind is it's really hard. It's really hard to do. It's like, if you tell yourself something's really hard, it's going to be really hard. How, How dedicated are you to making this a safe space where anybody can flourish if you're not that dedicated stop talking about it stop mm-hmm. pretending because as employees what we hate more than anything else is leaders well they're not even leaders but are managers who say one thing and then never ever follow through on it and they're good at creating cultures of fear and cultures of mistrust and adversarial cultures where we're in constant battles with each other um but you know the, uh, it, what we used to do, Denise, sorry, I'm on a bit of a roll there. What we used to do. No, no, we used I, to... Think, I, I, I think your role is a good one because I, part of, if I hear you right, the first step is, is that you actually have to have the courage to want to change and stop talking about it. And so too often it's, you know, it's safe to stay where we are and say, oh, that, that's for those people over there or it's too hard or the business is, if we change this, then we're jeopardizing our bottom line. And oh, by the way, you haven't really shown me the, that this is going to help our bottom line. It's just my change to dollars in that. And so there's lots of excuses, but the first thing that I hear from you is, is that you have to want to change. You have to make a decision that you're going to have a vibrant culture. Yeah, you, you absolutely do, Denise, on, on, on all of the issues that come with that. I spoke to a, a CEO, or oh, must have been about 18 months ago now, and he said, one of the things that we want to do is have more uh, female members of staff okay. on the senior leadership team. I was like, okay. He's like, so what advice have you got? I was like, make the next person you put into a leadership position a female. Yeah, but how do I go about that? I'm like, you don't hire a man when that position becomes vacant. Right. I'm like, how, how, or, well, what if it's not the best person for the job? I'm like, right now, the best person for the job is a female. I was like, that's what yeah. you do. You hire a female. Yeah. I'm well, like, but then, it's really but, not, but, that, it's not that hard. Well, but you know, and I'm not taking their side, but I will tell you what I hear. Well, yeah. well, if I if I put a woman in there, then everybody else is going to know that she's not the best person, or we gave her preferential treatment. What do I say to them? Well, that's rubbish for a start because what that's again that's coming from a position of uh, of inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we're saying is that we're using old fashioned methods to hire that individual, and I'm going to make excuses for it. So straight away, you've undermined that incoming person. But if you want, if you want greater uh, diversity, it's the same with cognitive diversity, right? Different mm-hmm. ideas. Most organisations full of groupthink. Most senior leaders, when they have their away days, will go away and agree that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And I yeah. joke about it all the time on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. Like, those those away days are just the same conversations in a more expensive venue. Yeah. Uh, what we never do is invite the opinions from the people on the front line who actually know what's happening on a day-to-day basis. So if you want to find out, we've had a lot of cultural issues in government over the last week, Denise. And there was one, uh, uh, I guess, member of the house in in American terms who was, who was interviewed on TV about his, his toxic workplace culture. And he said, this is like, there's nothing wrong with our culture. The culture's fine. 
straight away I'm thinking it's toxic because you're <laughs> telling everyone it's good. Yeah. Let's yeah. ask someone who's who's a who's a junior staffer who's working for you on a daily basis, who's a person of colour. Let's ask them. Yeah. Whether the culture is any good. I know what the answer is. Yeah. And so you have a lot of arrogance when it comes to culture is, is people know best. And you're right. It, it, it starts with that courage, overcoming those fears um, uh, to, to kind of rattle and shape the cultural norms. I worked in an engineering. But and, and it's really the, the, the fear that I know best. When you said that, I was thinking of yeah. the client that I had and, um, you know, I'm working with the senior leadership. This is the CEO and their immediate staff. And I asked, okay, so just describe who your customer is. And we went through the exercise of, you know, cutting out patriot people and all of this other stuff. And then, then I went and asked the frontline, give me a picture of who the customer actually is. 180% different than yeah, the two. There you go. And when I showed it to them and said, no, this is who your customer is. They said, yeah, we saw that data, but this is really the picture. And so this idea of denial. Yeah. <laughs> pretty huge <laughs> well, it is because they get themselves into this position denise where is i this is my culture this is my team i know best it's like yeah. as soon as you're okay. in that position yeah that's hubris and, and you've lost you've lost you've, you've got a, you've got a stagnant culture and nobody cares uh, or it's it's really unsafe and you've got people being mistreated left right and center bullied harassed and then you're just making excuses for it yeah. So, you know, we're coming close to the end here and I hate this, but if you, if you had to tell a, a leader who really has an open mind and is starting mm -hmm. to say, you know what, I, I, I went to all those conferences. I heard all of those folks give me all of this theory. I really am ready to, to do a few things. What would be some, a couple because I never give more than three things because I can't think we can't <laughs> hold on to more than three. Here's right? 90 things. <laughs> and besides, if they really want more, they can buy culture hacks, right? <laughs> well, they can. Yeah. That's one thing they could do. <laughs> You're listening to a free podcast after all. I mean, <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, culture hacks is his second book. Uh, the first one is culture fix. And, and I right. think it will give you a good idea of first of all, what is culture? Because I think part of the problem is, is that people don't know what culture is. Mm. They have this illusion from what you, you were talking about, the theory of it. And culture really is just the agreements we have about what, what, how we're going to work together. How what we're going to work together. How, yeah. What we're going to speak about and what we're not going to speak about, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Those and are, I think, you know, when I, when I think about a couple of things at the end, that's the first one. The first one is take some time uh, with the team, because culture is the sum of everyone, everyone's attitudes, beliefs, yeah. behaviors, traditions, yeah. and skills, yeah. everybody. So you have to sit down with everybody or if represent representatives of everybody and agree what the culture needs to be. It takes time. It's going to cost a little bit of money, but it will pay you back 10 times because what you'll have created is a sense of belonging where people have had a say in uh, not only the behaviors we need to demonstrate towards each other, but the collaboration, how we're going to work together and how we're going to be creative and make time for new ideas. You know, so it, it takes two days in person. It takes three days virtually. You know, these are the kinds of things that I do. And at the end, people are like, wow, we have something that's ours. So that's the first thing. It doesn't matter kind of how well, okay, good your culture so, is. So they go through that. that, but, you know, mm. sustainability is a problem. We know about the forgetting curve, but then, but is it a week you forget 90% of what happened to you in that particular <laughs> one? How do you, how do you sustain after the event, you know? 
I throw accountability. So most organizations, they, they, they'll go off and do their team building away days. They'll come back with a list of actions and then there's no accountability to yeah. actually follow through on any of it, Denise. So you have to hold yourself accountable to the uh, agreements you've made. And so this requires every manager to step up and lead, recognize, recognize that cultural evolution starts with them and their behaviors. Mm-hmm. And if they're not able, if they're not prepared to demonstrate um, the, the agreements that they've made, then stop talking about culture. Stop talking about it being the most important thing because you just don't have the will to make it happen. So it really does require managers to, to have the courage to say, this time is going to be different. I'm going to stick to those agreements. I'm going to show other people how to do it. And I'm going to create more leaders as a result. And when you get into that kind of culture, everybody benefits. Great, great, great. So, um, these smaller experiences, you call them micro experiences, are what you mm. need to keep going over and over and over again. And, you know, if people want to talk to you more, they really want to dive in. Obviously, they can get your books. But, you know, for me, I'm an audio person. How would I get a hold of you? <laughs> uh, so LinkedIn's probably the best place. Colin D. Ellis. People always ask me what the D stands for. I'm like, well, it can stand for anything you want. Uh, it's David. That's... <laughs> don't say that. Don't say <laughs> yeah, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's like, oh, well, I've got a word in my head. Don't say that word. It's David after my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so so Colin D. Ellis uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, my website is colindellis.com as well. But if you just search Colin D. Ellis and culture, usually uh, Google will throw up a bunch of things and books to buy. And uh, yeah, you can find me link, LinkedIn and via my website. Well, if you come, when you come to America, because uh, we, we have to have back. you over I can't here. Wait. There you go. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to come back. I love it. As soon as this is uh, all over. Uh, <laughs> You know, we're back on planes and those little tubes uh, again, <laughs> flying through the air. You know, I, I'm Spreading germs. Oh, well, I'm still one that is just amazed that, you know, flying actually occurs, right? I understand the aerodynamic principles behind it, but I just think it's a miracle. <laughs> Every time I'm on one of those double-decker planes, I'm like, how is this getting in yes. here? And then how is it just not falling out of the sky know, when it right? lands? <laughs> I get off every plane. I'm like, I'm alive. <laughs> I made it. I made I it. I made you know? it again. <laughs> and it was effortless. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you, pilot, for making it, <laughs> yeah. for making it happen here, you know? Um, but yes, when, when you come back, because I, I do think this idea in this next evolution, I love the way you talk about it. It's about evolving, which is a never-ending process. It's no different than, you know, implementing a strategy. There is no beginning, middle, and end of your strategy. It's only you know, at different points in time, just coming back, taking a look at it. Where do we need to go? What's true north, due north um, or south, if that's where you want to go out of it. And then how do we get to the next place? So Mm. guys, you've heard it here first. Um, It's all about the evolution of culture. The aim is vibrant cultures. We do it through choices and having the will and the courage to question some of the things that we complain about, I guess, and uh, then take the steps to move forward. And with that, that's a wrap. Uh, You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. My guest today is Colin D. Ellis. And please support him by going out and buying his book. Again, Culture Fix and Culture Hack. Yes, I'm shameless for him. (laughs) Thank you, Denise. (laughs) If you want a job, let me know. (laughs) 
I am shameless for him because I really am a fan, folks. And uh, as you know, I read a lot of books, but I'm not always impressed by a lot of books. So, <laughs> so with that, it's a wrap and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.